Hey guys, this is Chad Wheeler with Open Door. Um, good to be with you today. Thanks for tuning in and, and taking a minute to uh, worship with us and uh, let us share some things that uh, are on our hearts, things that God is doing in our lives and, and uh, speaking to us. Like Clayton said, and like the video showed, uh, I'm with Open Door. I've been with Open Door for the last 15 years. Um, it's my community. I love it. Um, it's not just a nonprofit. It is my family. And uh, today, what I really want to do is share some stories from my experiences over the, those years at Open Door, some things that I've seen and learned that uh, I feel like are going to be helpful for any church anywhere. Um, we've got a unique context at Open Door, working with people in homelessness and poverty and sex trafficking. And so our experience of church has just presented so many unique challenges and, and, and unique gifts. And so I want to share some of those stories and some of those things we've learned with you today in hopes that maybe it'll encourage you and challenge some thought in your practice as a disciple of Christ and your experience as a member of a body of Christ, uh, the body of Christ, wherever that may be found. So um, I want to begin with, with Jesus and with the practice of God uh, as kind of the foundation for everything that we do. And, and he really is uh, the, the guide, the insight, um, the picture of what we want to become and what life really, true life, should look like in this world. So uh, John 1, 14, one of my favorite passages uh, in all of Scripture, uh, the message paraphrases it this way. It says, The Word became flesh and blood, and moved into the neighborhood. Uh, I just, I love that because it's so tangible. It's so real. Um, it's so personal. You know, the, if you read the, the beginning part of, of the Gospel of John, from John 1 to 114, you hear these incredible uh, images of the Word who was and is and will always be through which everything was, ma was made. Um, this is the God of the universe who became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. Imagine, you know, you, wherever you live, you know, somebody's moving in and you find out that this is God in the flesh who's living next door to me, who's walking the streets, who's hanging out at my parks, who's going to my favorite coffee shop. Um, you know, this is an incredibly personal move from the God who is overall and through all things were made. I mean, it's just this incredible story. That is, in many ways, the picture of the movement that takes place that, that really is the church is called to join in. So uh, when we think about the way our churches move in, the way our churches take on flesh and blood in a neighborhood, uh, that's, that's really the picture I look to, the, the God who moves into the neighborhood right among us, rubs shoulders with us. Although, you know, right now we're six feet away rubbing shoulders. But, you know, I'd be really curious to find out what he'd do during a, a pandemic. But, you know, he shows up, and as author Alan Hirsch says, he is totally incognito. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. The God of the universe, Jesus, shows up in the flesh, and for 30 years, he kind of just hangs out. He kind of just hangs out with everybody else. You don't see or hear a lot of things from him. 
Uh, and even in the three years of his ministry, I mean, we have a, a fraction of the time of his life during those three years. And you kind of wonder, what was he doing during all that other time? You know, what's he doing uh, when he's not preaching and performing miracles? He's living life with people. He's living in a community. He's, he's just a regular guy in so many ways. You know, for us at Open Door, that passage and that uh, image of, of the God moving into the neighborhood has really been central in, in shaping the way that we do what we do. So we've been around 23 years now. In 1997, this whole thing kind of started by accident. Uh, what is Open Door now? It started by accident. This guy named Jim Beck, some friends of his, they made their way down to a soup kitchen in town called Carpenter's Kitchen. And you may have heard of it. You may have served there. Uh, they do a Sunday lunch every week, and they've been doing that for 30-plus years. And Jim had just returned from being a missionary in Kenya, he and his family. And he was going through some reverse culture shock. If you know anything about Kenya and a lot of places uh, in the developing world, communities, families, all of those things are so tight-knit. And you come back to the United States where we're very individualistic, uh, you know, you, you work one place, you go to school another place, you go to church another place, you shop in a totally different place, like everything's disconnected. And he's feeling so out of place. And he finds his way down to Carpenter's Kitchen, the soup kitchen. And rather than walking in and saying, how can I serve? How can I get in line and serve a meal? This guy walks in hops in line with the people getting in line to go get a meal. And he just kind of walks through the line, grabs his fried chicken and his plate and his Kool-Aid. And he goes and he sits down at the table and he just starts talking to people, getting to know people. And he does this week after week over a year's time. It's, it reminds me of the incognito Jesus who just kind of shows up. He's not there to save the world on day one and preaches all, you know, everything he has to say on day one. He's there just to be and just to be with us. And so much so that we almost don't even notice him at first. And this is the way that Jim went into this community. Uh, as somebody that sat at the table, shared table fellowship, got to know somebody's name, and over time built a relationship that grew into a community, the community we now know as Open Door. Uh, some really cool things uh, about that, you know, when I talk to some of our friends uh, who ate at the kitchen, and maybe some still eat at the kitchen today, uh, they'll tell you that they are and were so used to people um, coming in, serving, and then you don't see them again, maybe ever, or you see them six months, and you, and you don't really have a chance to build that relationship. If you've ever been to a soup kitchen, sometimes there is that barrier where you're standing on the other side of a table, and somebody's got plastic gloves, and they serve you, and you're going through the line, and it's about efficiency and getting everybody served, and there's hundreds of people there. It's hard to build relationships sometimes in those kinds of settings. And they've told me that what really struck them was that somebody slowed down and showed up enough over a long period of time to get to know their name and get to know their story. Uh, a friend of ours tells a story of one day he's walking away from the kitchen and uh, he's walking away and somebody says, hey, Warner, we'll see you next week. And he turns around and he says, wow, 
He knows my name. How significant on the one hand, how sad on the other, is it that we have been interacting with people sometimes so much so that they feel depersonalized, where they're just somebody to get fed and we don't know their name. And how amazing is it when God shows up in flesh and blood, he's close enough to see us get to know our name get to know our story. I mean, that is the mission of God. That's how he does things. Um, and I'm so, I wasn't around those in those days, but I'm so grateful that that's part of our story, that slow getting to know somebody consistently over a period of time. I think that's something that every church needs to really uh, figure out how they can do in whatever community and neighborhood they're in. Uh, another really cool thing about our, our early stories that I think uh, ties in with that incarnational Jesus is this um, idea of, of becoming like us, familiar to us. And, uh, you know, in, in 98, Open Door, back then we were called Carpenter's Church. We got our name from the kitchen, uh, the, the church that met at Carpenter's Kitchen. And in those days, there was a, another church in the area who donated their building to this group. They, they heard about the group that was meeting at Carpenter's Kitchen, and they said, hey, you know, we've got this space. Why don't y'all move in here and kind of make this a place for the neighborhood? Um, you know, we go into the building, and there's pews, and there's a podium, and there's, you know, religious things around. There's, you know, the communion table up front. And one of the cool things that they did uh, in those early days, the first time they came in, they were like, let's get rid of these pews. Let's get rid of all of the, the religious looking things. Let's go down to Goodwill and the thrift store and get a bunch of couches. And so they filled the room with a bunch of old couches in a big circle. They put a pool table in there and they made it where if you are somebody in the neighborhood who's totally unfamiliar with church, uh, maybe you've grown up in poverty and, and you know, the, the most communal spot you've experienced is the pool hall, you know, the place or the bar where people get together and, and they talk and they hang out and they play games together and they do that kind of thing together. They wanted Open Door to be a place where if you've never walked into a church before, you can walk in and feel, feel comfortable, feel like I belong here, feel like this is familiar to me. And uh, from those early days till today, a lot of people, they'll walk in and, and they won't even know it's a church uh, because it just feels so comfortable for them. And that's part of that kind of incognito. The church is this wild relational community that's taking place in whatever setting people find themselves in. And, uh, and people really bring their guards down when they walk into an environment like that. So uh, you know, that's the first point I want to make is, is our God is a God who, who meets us where we are, who comes down to our level, becomes familiar, becomes recognizable uh, as, as one of us. And we can do the same thing in our communities and in our neighborhoods and invite people into that new relationship. And, and that's the next thing. Uh, I wanted to share that has been really central to us, and that is uh, this scriptural picture of the church as a body and as a family. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 27, Paul writes, For just as the body is one 
and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. You know, again, it goes back to who is our God and what's he like? You know, he is one, Father, Son, and Spirit in unity. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But, but as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. We'll come back to that. God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need for you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need for you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. One of my favorite passages as well, we, we talk about this all the time at Open Door, how uh, we are this diverse body full of a variety of people, um, but God has brought us together, drawn us together in unity and mutuality where we're designed to need each other, to benefit from each other, to share with each other. Um, and when one part suffers, we all suffer. And in, when one part rejoices, uh, we all rejoice. I don't know what church looks like for you, but at Open Door, uh, every week, we, we, when we do prayers, we do news and updates as well. And uh, it's unlike any church I've ever been to. Um, that's kind of an understatement for Open Door. It is a wild uh, bunch of people sometimes. Um, but on any given Sunday, somebody will come in and they'll say, um, I got a job this week. And following that, there will be applause and, and yelling and people saying, hey, great job. I knew you could do it. Uh, somebody will say, hey, I've got a birthday this week. And in the middle of our church service, people will bust out with happy birthday to you. It's just this family environment where people are celebrating together, sharing the, the little things, the big things, the sad things, the, the happy things, uh, like all healthy families do. And that is the way God has designed us to be, to be one body with multiple 
parts. You know, uh, again, with the situation right now, uh, it, it is a very challenging time to be the body of Christ because we're so used to, I know I'm so used to being together with people, being in the same room together, being able to do things like sing happy birthday for each other and not seeing each other face to face. It's it's like a body that uh, is, is separated from its self. You know, the parts are all spread out. It, it's very challenging. Um, but this is the calling of God to be, and we've got to figure out new ways to be that body, uh, even when we can't see each other face to face every day. I want to go back to in the passage, you know, he says, God arranged these parts. You know, God put the ear, the ears where they're supposed to be, put the eyes where they're supposed to be, put the toes where they're supposed to be. Uh, he arranged this body, each part, even the parts that we don't even know what they're called and what they're for, but they're there and God put them there for our body to function uh, the way it does. A question for the church, are we letting God arrange the members of our body the way he's intending to? Or are we shaping the body, our, our local churches, in our own images, in the ways that we want them to be? Are we kind of putting preference over certain body parts and trying to uh, come up with what we think is going to be the ideal body? Um, or are we trusting that, hey, God, God brought this person to us, and, you know, maybe they're different than me, uh, but God is the one who's bringing us together. Not me controlling that. God's bringing us together. I remember uh, a couple of years ago, we had a, a friend of ours. Um, it's, it's, it's a sad, but it's also a wonderful story in, in some ways. Uh, he showed up at another church in town and he walked in and the moment he walked in, People knew he, he just didn't look like everybody else. Uh, he dressed differently. Uh, his hygiene maybe was different. Um, the way he spoke, it was just different from the people in that building. And um, I guess trying to be nice, one of the members of that church, you know, they, they saw him walking in. And they said, hey, I think you might be interested in Open Door. Are you looking for Open Door? And they brought the person to open door and um, kind of dropped him off there and said, hey, you know, maybe you'll fit in better here. Uh, that's, that's kind of a sad story in a lot of ways because, you know, what are we doing in our churches when people walk in and we think, you know, you don't really fit in here. Maybe there's a better place for you. We're kind of stepping in the place of God who arranges the body as he intends. It's worked out for us. We've been blessed enormously because this guy, he showed up that one day and he's there every Sunday and throughout the week. And he is just a beloved member of our community. And, and he fits right in. He, he doesn't uh, look like everybody else, even at Open Door, uh, but he is an essential part of our family and a beloved member of our community. Um, and, you know, we give thanks to God for bringing him to us. You know, this other part in the passage is, is really significant to me. I, th I think about this every day that I walk into Open Door and the ways that we participate with each other. Um, this, this idea of the parts of the body that seem weaker being indispensable. And those parts of the body that we think less honorable 
that we go about bestowing greater honor to those parts. And those unpresentable parts, we treat with a greater modesty. Um, There are parts of any family that uh, are wounds and brokenness and difficulties. There are parts of any body that are uh, weaker. You know, my pinky finger is not as strong as my bicep. And uh, that's, that's okay. They work together and they can figure out ways to complement each other. And that's kind of this idea of the church as a body working together, even with the parts that appear weaker or less honorable. Uh, we're figuring out a way to work together to, to care for those within the body, for the good of the body as a whole. You know, at Open Door, uh, I think of a lot of times uh, when I'm thinking about this passage, uh, people who walk into our door who cannot read and write. Um, so we have a lot of people in our church who are illiterate, um, probably more so than, than the majority of churches. Um, and when we get together, we do things like read scripture and we, you know, we talk about scripture and we pray together and, and we even do kind of reader response readings at open doors sometimes. And uh, that can sometimes be a challenge when you have a room full of half the people can't read and write. So what do you do? Um, we make special concessions for our friends who have trouble that way. Uh, one of the beautiful pictures I see regularly at Open Door is when we do one of those readings up on the screen, you know, uh, we'll, we'll invite anybody uh, from our youngest to, you know, they're learning to read to our oldest who, you know, because of the world they lived in at the time, they never learned how to read. Well, we'll invite them up to participate. And, you know, I think of a time when I saw two of my friends standing up there. Uh, one of them, she's a grown woman. She, she can't read very well. Uh, another one, she's college educated, you know, just, you know, nearing her completion of college right now, actually. They're standing up there together, reading scripture together, and they're helping each other out because they're going to come across some words that one of the friends, she doesn't understand how to read. The other one is quietly, you know, coaching her on how to read that. That is a beautiful picture of the body picking up the slack in the ways that we struggle, helping one another participate and be a part of the the practice of the body. You know, you flip that same uh, relationship around and there are going to be some situations where our college educated people walk into a foreign culture down at Open Door, inner, inner city culture, homeless culture, uh, the culture of sex trafficking, and they don't have a clue. You know, they can read and write, but they do not understand the words that they're hearing because it's, it's a different culture. And so that same person that can't read or write well is going to be an interpreter and a guide for our college students to kind of understand what's going on. So we need each other in some senses I may be the weakest person in the room, and in other senses, I may have a strength that I can share. And that's the function of the body as we're helping each other. I think of another friend of ours who he has a, a severe developmental disability, and from birth, he has, uh, you know, just had struggles developing. And he's an adult now in his 40s, he can't read or write. Um, he, he, he processes similarly to, you know, the way an eight-year-old w- would, would process mentally. 
And on a regular basis at Open Door, we're asking our friend to, to, hey, lead us in prayer. And he always wants to lead us in prayer. Lead us in prayer. Bless us. Share with us. Um, you know, when we talk at Open Door, we're sitting, you know, it's kind of a, a big house church style. We sit in a big, huge circle and we kind of facilitate conversations. What I'm doing right now is, is so awkward to me, uh, talking in a room without anybody here and talking with you where you can't respond uh, at Open Door, our, we dialogue. We get together and we we interact. And without fail, I'm going to be interrupted. Um, I'm going to be talking about something, sharing some scripture, and somebody is going to say something. And it may be a thought that I have not thought about at all. It may be a tangent that I was not planning on going down. Uh, but that is uh, a value of ours. We're creating space for people to participate. And for us, participation is more important than performance. It's more important for us to feel like we're a valued functioning body as a whole, rather than me being the one part of the body that gets to direct the whole conversation. And uh, I think there's a lot we can learn there um, from scripture, from each other, from the practice of, of being a church, is seeing ourselves as a valuable part of the body, regardless of who we are, and creating space for those members of the body to participate. You know, like, like Paul says, uh, there are some parts of the body that we, we have to go out of our way to empower them to do their function. And there are other parts of the body that, you know, they don't need any special preference uh, because they're already, like he says, they're already uh, more presentable. You know, we don't have to go out of our way to, to hold them up. Um, that, you know, we're, we're, all, we're on both sides of it. We're creating spaces for certain people to use their gifts. And we're not just elevating our most presentable parts to be the dominant, the only part that really functions within the body. That's what a, a good, healthy body functions like. It works well when all the pieces know their part and have a place uh, in, in what they're doing. Same thing uh, with a family. A good, healthy family has members of the family who know the things that they can do to help uh, carry out their task. You know, in my house, uh, I've got a house of five, you know, my wife and I and three kids, uh, a boy and two girls. And, you know, we have different gifts, different strengths. Um, you know, my daughters are pretty short and sometimes th there's things that they can't reach. Uh, you know, they're just, uh, they're like half my size. And so, you know, my, my son and myself, my wife, you know, we're going to fill in the gaps and, you know, help out grabbing those, those tall things that they can't reach. But, oh man, I love the shortness of my daughters when they've got to climb in the back of my pickup truck, truck and grab something in the very back. Uh, you know, for me, I'm going to bump my head and, you know, have a backache by the time I get out. But for them, you know, they can fill that uh, function. And so for all of us in every church, finding ways to empower each other, to use our gifts, to create space for participation, uh, that is going to make us 
healthier, stronger churches. And so lastly, I want to talk a little bit about church in practice. We've talked about uh, the missionary God who comes in and lives among us like us. We've talked about how he drew us into this new family, uh, this family, this body that is the church. And lastly, I want to end with some practices. What can we do uh, as a church to be a healthy body, to be a healthy family? In Acts chapter 2, this is a, a passage that we often look at as kind of an idealistic, highly aspirational passage that, that maybe we'll never actually experience. And we're not really sure if anybody actually ever did this. Uh, but I want to look at it a little differently today. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47 says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. This is the disciples in the very early church. In the very early beginning, there's lots of persecution. Uh, they've just seen their leader, Jesus, killed and resurrected. And they are figuring out what it means to be this new community that's filled with the Holy Spirit. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved." I want to talk about this passage and I want you to consider this passage today not just as something that's really nice to do. Like, wow, wouldn't it be really cool if we gave and shared with each other like that? Wouldn't that be uh, a great moral um, practice? You know, it's not just about that. Um, it, it really is also about function. So I want you to imagine again, this is, this is the ancient world. This is uh, early Christianity um, in Jerusalem. Um, people are being persecuted. Christianity is not an accepted religious group like it is today in North America. Um, these are uh, people who are in a lot of ways kind of on the fringe of the social world. And for a lot of them, especially Jews, in order to be a part of this new community, following Jesus of Nazareth as the Messiah, they are leaving their families and they're being disowned many times by their own families. And they're being looked at as kind of a cult. Uh, honestly, the early church was seen as this kind of radical fringe group that was up to no good, that was definitely not believing in things that were trustworthy. They were, they were going off on a tangent over here. When, when you're in the ancient world and you're in a society like that, and there's a few societies like that still today, especially in the developing world, where you depend on your family for your food, for your shelter, for your safety, your security. Uh, it is a big deal to leave that 
and go be a part of a different group. You know, we're not just talking about uh, church hopping. You know, the idea of church hopping and kind of saying, well, you know, I like this, but you know, I'm getting tired of it, so I'm going to go over here and do that. Like, that did not happen in the same way in the ancient world because to make a shift like that, you're putting a lot of your livelihood and your survival at risk to go to this other group. And so when they're in their homes and sharing things in common and breaking bread together, a lot of this is it's not just a nice idea. It's because there were people who left everything and became a part of this new family and they needed each other to eat and to survive and to function. Uh, author Carl Sanders writes, the local communities, the local church, must prepare themselves to take responsibility for the welfare of the converts and pay the cost of conversion. He says a replacement of the physical family is definitely not the aim, but it must become the result. The potential for replacing the basic social function of the family is desirable. Again, the function of the family to take care of each other, to feed each other, to provide safety and security and shelter, all those things that a normal family does, the church needed to step up and be a realistic solution to that need for a lot of people who left those places. It kind of throws in, uh, you know, it makes me think of the rich young ruler. You know, a lot of times we'll criticize him for just being greedy or wanting to hold on to his stuff. You know, when Jesus says, sell all your possessions and give to the poor and then come follow me, it's not just about his greed and his, his desire to have all the things. It is a, a challenge that is, is, what is really challenging is his livelihood. You know, the question for him is, Am I going to give up my ability to feed myself and my family? Am I going to give up what relative independence I have through my wealth to follow this guy? And it's not just, is he a good Messiah? Does he have good things to say? Is he a good preacher? You know, like when, when I think about going to another church, you know, for a lot of people, they're thinking, you know, is the worship good? You know, is it a good atmosphere? Is the preaching good? You know, all these things. For the rich young ruler and a lot of people in the early church, the questions were, if I make this switch, am I going to be taken care of? Am I going to be able to live? Am I going to have the things that I need to keep my life going? It's not just, is it a nice thing to do? It's about my life and my survival. You know, for the majority of Americans and American Christians especially, uh, we are so much more independent than people in Jesus' day. You know, I don't depend on my family and subsistence farming to, to provide food for my table. You know, I just go to the grocery store. Uh, if I lose a job, it's not tied to my family trade, you know, Jesus being a carpenter and, you know, your son's probably going to be a carpenter and his son's going to be a carpenter. You know, we don't live in a world like that so much anymore. We live in a world where anybody can do anything and you can go off and have a job in a different city, totally apart from your family. It's a different world back then. But reading this passage, it, it, so if it, if, if it seems 
foreign to you to think about it in these ways. Uh, an encounter with the poorest among us or an experience of your own of losing everything, it becomes very real very quickly. And that's one of the things that we've seen at Open Door. At Open Door, uh, we live in community with people who are in poverty, in homelessness, and in sex trafficking, and many other things. People who have lost family, they've, they've either never had a good support system to begin with, or every bridge they've crossed has come burning down. And they come to us and they have nothing and they have no one and they have no place to be. And I'm going to ask them to give up everything and make a choice and come follow Jesus. If I'm not willing to, like that author said, pay my part of the cost for their conversion, am I really stepping up to be the church a part of the church that God calls me and us to be. A part that says, if you're a member of this body, now it's my responsibility and our responsibility to make sure that you have someone in your corner, that you have a bed to sleep in, if at all possible for us to make that happen, that you have food on your table, not just on my table. It becomes our responsibility it's not just about service. It's about this identity. You know, it, it, it all draws from that very beginning. Jesus, who is the one who exists in perfect community and harmony and unity, he calls the us and as his body, the church, to be the same way. And that's going to look very, very tangible when someone shows up to join my family who doesn't have a food in his pantry, who doesn't have clothing in his closet, who doesn't have a person to be there for him. One of the most challenging critiques and uh, words that a friend of mine at Open Door said to me years ago, he said, at least with my drug addicted and homeless friends on the street, I know they'll be there for me no matter what. Now, I know that that's not entirely true. You know, they're, they're, every relationship out there, especially in the world, uh, is a give and take. You know, if you scratch my back, maybe I'll scratch yours. And we're not always there for each other. But his sentiment is what I want to be for my brother in the church. And I believe it's the calling of God for all of us. It's to be ride or die Christians who really are there for my brother and sister, no matter what. Uh, and it is hard to compete with the world if all we're doing is showing up on Sundays or tuning in online or having a spiritualized Christianity because the world is there for each other. Uh, my friends who are in drug addiction, they're in dope houses. And you know what's in dope houses? A lot of people. People who are there all the time. And it may not be the most functioning thing, but if you've got nobody and you find an environment where people are going to be there with you all the time, then the church better be figuring out a way to replace that when you choose to become a part of the body of Christ. 
You know, are we going to be there for each other? Do we have the same capacity to be there for each other the way uh, people are maybe in a dope house? You know, uh, we work with victims and survivors of sex trafficking. And in trafficking, uh, a lot of times people are in an environment where all the things are controlled. um, But sometimes in very manipulative ways, they provide clothing, food, the things that somebody might need, and sometimes even really fun things uh, to keep them kind of uh, satisfied in that environment. Um, You know, it never really works fully. It's all manipulative. Um, But in order for us to ask somebody to leave that environment and take a step of faith out and be a part of this new way of living, again, we better be ready to step up and provide the things that that person needs. If we can't, as a body, help keep this person safe and her kids safe and fed and taken care of, then how am I really going to think that my message is is any way convincing or realistic to that person? Uh, Again, it's not just a spiritual message. It's a holistic, all-of-life message that God has for us. It's good news to the poor. It's good news to victims. It's, It's the solution to the things that are binding us. And the church has to step up and be that for each other. Today, this message might be a challenge for you. It may be really awesome, great news. Uh, If you, like the rich young ruler, have much to give and much independence, the idea of this kind of community may present major challenges. I know it does to me. Uh, It may ask a lot more from you than you're giving right now. Uh, Not just tangibly, not just monetarily, but your time, your space, uh, your connection and mutuality with other people in the body. But I'll tell you, if you are a single parent, with no other family around during a pandemic, the idea of this kind of church may be spectacular news. And to me, that's one of those very clear pictures of what the church should be doing and everybody should be doing right now and in in every crisis we face is picking up the slack for the members of our body and the members of our community that maybe uh, don't have the ability to watch their kids. Over the last couple of months, uh, I've seen lots of my friends and and co-workers at Open Door who have kids, some of them single parents. And the work that we do, it's essential work. We don't close down when there's a storm or a crisis or a pandemic. Uh, If anything, the need for us to be there is even more pressing. And so what does a a parent do when they got to go to work and they have responsibilities to take care of? Uh, but they have a kid at home and they, they don't know what to do with that person. That is a prime example of how we as a body can step up and care for each other. Um, because I don't just care for my kids in the body. I care for our kids. I don't just care for uh, my finances and the food on my table. I'm one of many who cares for our finances and our food on our tables. This is difficult stuff. I hope that it's also hopeful stuff. For me, uh, these are things that I feel so blessed to be able to see and wrestle with in my community. I know that you guys wrestle with so many of the same things in your community. Um, 
my prayer for you today and my encouragement for you is that we're each on this journey to be shaped into the image of God. And we only do that and we only become that as we stick close to Jesus. And as we join him and abide with him in his mission and his way and let that shape us personally and us as a community. Together, we pray as Jesus taught us to pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, in Lubbock, Texas, in our local communities, in our local church bodies, just as it is in heaven. It's going to be a journey ahead. I hope that some of the things I've shared today can be an encouragement to you. Um, and maybe you can figure out ways even today, apart from, from other members of the body in person, uh, to call somebody up, to be there, to, to be that, um, that functioning part of a body that values each part of the whole. Blessings to you wherever you are, blessings to your family, uh, blessings to us all as we experiment and navigate what it looks like to be God's family, Christ's body, right here as it is in heaven. Father, we love you. You are so good, so good to us in so many ways. Uh, Father, from the very beginning, we see in you the thing that we will fall in love with and have fallen in love with more than anything else. You are community. You are harmony. You are personal. You are our family, our father. And you draw us in to your family. Father, today I ask that in each of our lives and in each of our churches, you would shape us to be your people, part of your family. Just like every family, the traditions, the norms, the practices that we pass down generationally, pass those down to us. Let us look to you. Let us look to Jesus to see the way that you function, the way that you minister to us the way that you uh, come right alongside us and sit at the table with us, shape us in that same way. Just as you sent Jesus into the world, send us to each other, to our neighbors, shape us into a picture of, of the Trinity, of the community, of, of your harmony that is the most perfect family. And the world, may they see in us and the practice uh, that we have with each other what is clearly of you, what is clearly your face. And may they be in awe, and may they be uh, in love and drawn to you because of what they see being the most amazing thing they've ever found. Make us your tangible body. Make us your people who shine a light in all the dark places. 
guide us through all the difficult challenges everybody has. Give us grace and patience with each other, but stick with us and help us stick with you. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I pray. Amen.